Claremont Lincoln University has built online master's degrees for the 21st century leader. Across their 100% online by design degree programs, everything a student learns at Claremont Lincoln University will provide the vision and framework to become an ethical leader in the organizations and communities in which they serve. The degree a student receives from Claremont Lincoln University will prepare them to lead solutions for the complex, dynamic world in which we live. To learn more about what socially conscious education means, and to learn more about the programs offered at Claremont Lincoln University, visit www.claremontlincoln.edu. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Edip Experience, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio here with you again on another episode. Very excited today. Um, we are uh, we're going to talk marketing. We're going to talk marketing, and marketing is a very important thing to talk about. And let me tell you why. Well. If you're listening to this podcast and you work in higher education, you probably have realized that higher education is very competitive and uh, understanding marketing is going to be one way. My understanding and, and having the right partners in marketing is one way that, that you're going to differentiate your product from others. One person that I have here with me today to help me uh, a grill, my guest. I think we're going to just grill them. We're going to just put them up. We're going to start <laughs> throwing knives at them. We're going to grill them with all sorts of questions. Is my co-author of the yet untitled Edup Experience book. Kate, we're going to have to work on that. Yeah. Kate Colbert, a higher ed marketer, uh, uh, author extraordinaire, and my co-host. And let me let me introduce you, Kate, properly with this. Oh, that's the wrong one. There we go. We'll get, get the applause going here for you. Welcome, Kate, back to the Edup Experience <laughs> podcast. Hey, great to be here. Anytime we're going to be talking about marketing, you know I'm here with bells on. All right. Well, you know, I, you know, you're a marketer, so that's what's going to make this episode so much fun because we have with us a returning guest, um, our neighbors to the north, if you will, uh, bringing in our Canadian uh, market uh, back to the Edip experience. He runs an uh, incredible company called Glacier. His name is Matt Diddlejohn, and he is co-founder and CEO of Glacier. You like that little entrance music, Matt? How are you? Joe, fantastic! I'm I'm really excited to be here. Kate, great to uh, great to be here as well. I'm super excited to be here and, and chat with you both about this today. How's business, Matt? How are things going for you guys? Last time we talked, we were like, I don't know what, coming out of coronavirus, you guys kind of hit a, a little bit of a tough time, like many companies did, and you were seeing a resurgence. Now we're probably a year late. I don't know how long it's been, but it's probably been around a year, close to a year since we talked to you last. How's how are things going at Glacier? Give us a uh, overall, how's business? How are you? How are things? Yeah, I think it's been actually almost a, a year to the day. And I, uh, the only reason I know that is because the day we talked, my friend actually ended up proposing to his fiance later that day. So I remember the day very well. So it's, it's been almost about a year. And, and since then, yeah, things have been, things have been really good. We we've gotten through the worst of the, the pandemic and our company has been really on a growth trajectory now. So it's been really exciting. And I remember last time we spoke that, the, the numbers were pretty, pretty scary. We had done some research and it looked like a significant portion of higher ed had had budget cuts and, you know, it was, it was almost Armageddon in the, in the education industry and the tables have entirely turned, you know, we, we've done some research and done some surveys as well. And it's looking like 66% of colleges 
are going to have their budgets actually increased for marketing this year. So in our world, that's really good news. And, and our, our business is going really well. Uh, a lot of school, a lot of high schools are open, which is where, you know, we specialize in high school advertising. And so a lot of the schools are, are looking open. There is, you know, the fourth wave, depending on where you're at, you're, you know, you, you'll be affected differently, but it's looking like things are still relatively normal or, or at least um, more normal than they were last year. So things are looking really positive for us. Uh, that's great. And of course, your, your uh, uh, business model, of course, depend is somewhat dependent on people uh, attending school. And I will tell you, the sanity of parents is also dependent on kids going back to school, as I, I could tell you uh, firsthand yes. um, that, uh, that that is the case. Uh, and I know that from personal experience and then all the parents around me uh, that that is the case. So I think everybody's looking forward to that. Of course, there's still some risk and there's still some people who are worried, but that's something we're getting over individually. Uh, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to talk about your new white paper that you have out um, in, in just a second. But before I, I go there, um, you, you've you done research now. You did, Like you said, you did research last year. You've done the same research this year that you're putting out in this white paper. I'll introduce that white paper se separately in a second. But what are you finding? This is a big question we have in higher ed about high school students' perception of higher education. Are they still interested in going to higher ed? Are you seeing more students saying, you know, look, I just don't see the value. I don't want to take on debt. I'm going to go get an apprenticeship or maybe I'm going to go start working and figure out later. That's that's a big thing for us to understand. You're kind of right in it on, mm -hmm. on you know, the inflection point, so to speak. What's the trend looking like right now? Yeah, so there's a couple there's a couple of interesting stats that we we have been finding, and so one of those stats, which is you know it's a, it'll lead us into the white paper, which is that out of all the students that we surveyed, a very small percentage of them, you know, less than five percent, are actually in, interested in the trades or the skilled trades or any of those kinds of fields, and we find that really interesting because there is such a huge shortage of workers. And yet there's still such a small percentage of high school students that are interested in going to those types of institutions. By and large, they're interested in universities at 80% and colleges at 20%, 21%. So there's, there's still a huge interest in, in students in attending universities and colleges. And this year we, we decided to include a question in the white paper about what would be the biggest barrier preventing high school students from actually applying to or going to higher education because we wanted to find out, you know, with the pandemic, how has that, how has that really affected their psyche? And what we found is that the largest barrier to entry by far is actually uncertainty about the future. So 58% of students stated that they're uncertain about the future and therefore they might not even apply to university or college. So it's really the uncertainty, even more so than, than grades at 51% or, or cost at 48%. So that uncertainty- Uncertain about the future, like what am I gonna do with my life or uncertain about what is what is this pandemic gonna keep doing or both? Yeah, what is the pandemic gonna do? Actually, a lot of, uh, a decent percentage of students, I think it was about 53% of students had a pretty good idea of what they wanted to do after college, but it was, it was really the uncertainty of the pandemic. Like, what does that mean for the economy? What does that mean for my school experience? All of those kinds of things. So there is, there is that, that hesitancy and that, that barrier that exists with the pandemic of the uncertainty. And that's, we're seeing that is preventing students from applying. Now, 
On the other side of the coin, which is what we find very, you know, a, a good sign and very positive is that despite that 70% of students are still really excited about attending higher education in the, in the fall. So, you know, even though they're uncertain and that's, and that's could prevent them from applying by and large, there's still excitement and there's still, there's still uh, positivity towards attending higher education. Absolutely. Well, the, your uh, your report, the white paper that we're referencing, is the mm. 2021 Gen Z Media Report, the State of Post-Secondary Advertising to High School Students in 2021. Why, if you have any uh, undergraduate program at all, would you not go read this report? It's on the Glacier website. Um, we are glacier.org, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's correct, yes. Is that your website? That's correct. I just I get you to confirm it. That's a double confirm. But we are glacier.org and you go there and you can download this report. And I brought along Kate because she is a um for this episode because she is a researcher and market. And I know she's dug in deeply into that report. Have you not, Kate? Just be, just out of sheer joy of reading something like that. <laughs> Yeah, I sure have. Um, I mean, Matt, this is really fantastic research that that you and your colleagues have have conducted to really um, help marketers at colleges and universities sort of understand um, where they stand vis-a-vis uh, -vis, um, their competitors and to really understand where they can um, step up step up their game. So, um, if I could, I would love to. You know, let's let's jump into it. Um, you know, would love to uh, talk a little bit about the one of the things that I think that Glacier does um, really well and innovatively in that a lot of colleges and universities are not even thinking about. Um, and this, I think, will maybe sort of get us to talk a little bit more about what your company does in general, um, but then lead us into the report is I'd love to talk about this concept of real estate, of sort of high school real estate, right? So in when we're talking about building a house, really, it's all about location, 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 right? Um, and when, it, it's about, when we're talking about how colleges and universities can reach and grab the attention of high school students, their future uh, customers, um, it's also about real estate. And sometimes it's digital real estate and sometimes it's physical real estate, like having um, you know, posters up in, on the walls in the right high schools. And so I would love to, to hear sort of your, um, your thoughts to help um, marketers, maybe who've been marketing um, their colleges and universities for a long time, and maybe are kind of a little bit sort of stuck in the way that the things that they used to do. T tell us a little bit about um, how it used to be and where we are now, right? When I, and I'm, what I mean by that is, you know, back in the day, colleges and universities could get their brochure into the hands of high school guidance counselors, or maybe they could get a flyer pinned um, to a high school corkboard somewhere, and maybe they could have come and have a table set up at a college or career fair. And the really more sophisticated colleges and universities were doing some sort of a mixers or events for guidance counselors. But now really smart marketers are doing so much more um, and often doing that with the help of advisors at, at, at places like Glacier, um, but they're tapping into totally new opportunities um, and types of sort of interactions and quote unquote real estate they hadn't thought about before. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, the dynamics of college advertising to high school students has changed drastically in the last year, perhaps more so than any other year, largely in part due to the pandemic. But I think even without the pandemic, there would have been a lot of change, even just even just in the social media landscape alone, like just, just starting off, if we want to just start there with social media, because 
social media is by and large still the best place to advertise to high school students. We, we saw that because we do ad recall. We have an ad recall segment of this report that we do every year. And this is the third year in a row that we've done it. And the ad recall always remains consistently the same, which is social media advertising ad recalls at 59% amongst high schoolers. Those high school ads or, or posters on walls or murals on walls in high schools that you, you referenced, those are at 45%. And then add on a website or you, know, you think your Google display, programmatic, et cetera, that's 42%. And then there is a steep cliff and then it's all the other tactics. So you got TV, radio, uh, billboards, all the traditional ones, those are all below 10% of ad recall. So those tactics, you know, those were working 10 plus years ago, those were fantastic. And then all of these, so the only traditional one we still recommend is that physical presence on the walls in high schools. So, you know, diving more into the social media itself, one of the other things that we, we consistently do is we pull higher ed marketers to find out where are they advertising to high school students. And so then therefore we have both sides of the market. We can see where high schools, high school students are, where they're spending their time, where they remember seeing ads. And then we see where higher ed marketers are spending their ad budgets. And what we have found consistently over the last two or three years since we started doing this is the two numbers just completely don't align. You know, like, uh, like just to give you a stat, like 77% of higher ed marketers are spending their budgets on Facebook, whereas only 35% of high school students are spending their time on Facebook. And even, so some of, the, some of the craziest numbers this year are just the daily usage stats of social media. So last year, TikTok, 72% of students used it daily. This year it's at 92%. So it is the highest daily use social media app amongst high schoolers by far. Um, we, we actually, Instagram, wow. yeah. That was, even just that one <laughs> stat alone is like, is you know pretty mind blowing. Because That's a TikTok, wow, yeah. Yeah, TikTok wasn't even included in our survey three years ago, and now it is the most used daily app. So it just it just goes to show how fast and agile higher ed marketers need to be to stay on top of this demographic because they shift so quickly. And, Look, and I will tell you that higher ed, I, this this is something I could tell you for from all the marketers that I know, higher ed uh, struggles with understanding how to use TikTok for advertising and marketing to Gen Z because nobody wants to get on there and dance. I mean, honestly, that's when, when you talk to higher ed people, you know, let's say older folks, uh, we, I'll put myself in there. It's like, what, what do you do with it? You know, are you, uh, cause there's dances and challenges and whatever. And that's what you see, unless you're on there and see some of the other unique things you can do. TikTok is a very scary platform for higher ed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, it is. We've, and we've heard that consistently. We've had a lot of clients ask us, how do we start using this platform? And I think that would probably be the worst thing to do is to get, you know, all the, the, the people in the, the college marketing department, get on there and start doing TikTok dances. Like, oh boy, that would be an absolute nightmare. Absolutely do not do that. Not to attend your college or university. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we think, we think like any platform either do it really well or don't do it at all. You know, it's like, you will do more disservice and damage to your institutional brand if you have a TikTok account and it's bad. You're better yeah, off that, not having one. Honestly. No, that's great. Let's pause on that for a second because that that is huge, Matt. I mean, that's really, really good advice that I think um, 
our listeners really need to hear is that, you know, yes, is there a pressure to be everywhere where your prospective students are? Yes, there is that sense of pressure. Um, and is there a sense to be going where um, you're looking at these statistics and reports like the Glacier Report and going, oh my gosh, you know, you know, 90 plus percent of um, our, our audience is spending some time every day on TikTok. We need to be there, um, but you need to be there well. Um, and, you know, a, there is no opportunity to sort of redo a first impression for a brand. Um, so your college and university has to come out strong um, when, mm -hmm. when you're stepping into this platform. So I think that's really great advice. I do think that a lot of marketers feel a pressure um, to sort of, you know, go wherever, you know, the sort of hot um, app is at the moment. Um, but I, but I hear what you're saying is do it well. Um, the quality matters and it would be better to not be there um, and to be doing whatever you're doing well than to go somewhere and really sort of flop um, on your entry. So, so that uh, sort of entrance strategy onto these new platforms is really key. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And I mean, this this survey this year though I think you know we were saying it last year as well which was you've got to start getting on TikTok and Snapchat because that's where the blue ocean is in higher education and I'm I'm going to repeat that even more emphatically this year especially because we saw a decline in daily usage of Instagram so last year daily usage was at 94% this year it's at 85% you know it it is now third spot on the most used social media apps amongst high schoolers. Last year was number one, and it was number one for, I think, four years before that. So it, it just goes to show you need to, higher ed marketers really need to start diversifying. It's like an investment portfolio, you know? You, you never want to have all of your eggs in one basket because you could lose that basket or something could happen in the marketplace, and then you you know, you know lose that, and then your entire strategy is just gone. So we, that's why we really advocate for trying out new platforms and getting familiar with them. But TikTok and Snapchat are not new platforms anymore. Like you, you've, you've, you've definitely got to get on them because Snapchat is not going anywhere. It's been around for three years, consistently sitting at that 86, 87% daily usage. And TikTok has now ascended to number one, and we really don't see it going anywhere anytime soon. It is just so engaging. The content is phenomenal. Um, you know, we're seeing content creators jump from Instagram over to TikTok because of the nature of the platform and how anyone can go viral at any time. So it is a very, very powerful platform. And that's why we just cannot espouse enough to start experimenting with these new platforms. Because if you, if you don't, higher ed market, like, you know, eventually the, the platforms that are here right now are not going to be here in a few years. Like I said, TikTok is now number one. It wasn't even on our radar three years ago. So that's why we think that you've really got to start testing and learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, go ahead, Kate. You have another one? Because I was going to yeah. ask you. Go, go. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Let me ask, let me ask a question because, it, you know, something that Joe sort of got at a minute ago, sort of um, kind of uh, joking about sort of those of us who work in and with higher education um, getting older and older. Um, and, you know, I'm 47 and a lot of people who are working um, in enrollment management um, or in social media departments and financial aid departments, et cetera, at colleges and universities, um, you know, they might have kids the age of the prospective students, or they might have grandkids the age of the prospective students. And so what is your advice when, I think one of the things I hear a lot when I talk to colleges and universities that know that they need to be places like TikTok and Snapchat and doing really good things is they say, well, we have some like kind of young people on our team, people on our staff who are who really comfortable on those platforms and they really get it. They know how to interact, um, but maybe they don't really, they're not 
they're not super sophisticated yet, or they don't, in terms of our brand, um, we don't necessarily trust them yet to talk about the college and university to speak on behalf of our entire institution. And so there's this challenge where you've got a portion of your staff um, who are really sort of native to these sort of digital platforms and they're comfortable there and they really get how it works, but they also are still learning your brand as an employee of your college or university. Um, and you have maybe not sort of um, you know, release the reins on them a little bit. Um, what is your advice for, you know, chief marketing officers at colleges and universities and um, other leaders at colleges and universities? How do we think about that challenge that the people who are perhaps best suited to be interacting um, and nurturing um, content and relationships on these platforms are sometimes the folks who have the least amount of experience talking about your college and university? Yeah, absolutely. So what we recommend is working with students because especially with TikTok because students they 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 love the brand to begin with i mean they're already there they've invested their time and their money to be there on campus there's a lot of really good content creators already on TikTok guaranteed on pretty much any college university campus you could probably find some great TikTok creators so working with those students and and fostering relationships so i'll give you an example like one of the things we're doing with one of our clients right now is we're acting as more of an advisor for them and we're helping them post we we help them come up with the job descriptions for five student content creators on TikTok. we help vet through the candidates and pick the ones that are going to be really good content creators we're helping train the students on how to create good TikTok content and then we're going to be helping in the ideation sessions to come up with good content ideas. And then eventually this client, they're going to have a coordinator. So it could even be that young person that you just mentioned is on the team uh, that really gets TikTok well, and they're overseeing the students. And the students are going to be producing one video per week for TikTok. And the, the university we're talking about, they have the full ability to, you know, not post it or, or post it as, as they get a feel for it. I mean, we've seen some universities and colleges, they have a, that same team of student content creators and they just give them full reign. They've given them full access to the TikTok account and they just say, go nuts. And they've had a lot of good success with that too. So it's, it's all about the risk tolerance of the university or college, but I think the magic formula is using your existing students because they have an army of content creators already on campus that are, you know, they're, they're deeply embedded in the TikTok culture and they get it and they love creating content. Why not harness them and empower them and get them to create beautiful content that's going to make your, the university TikTok account amazing. So that's what we think the magic formula is. It's some combination of using your current students and giving them a sandbox to play in so that they can create great content. So, and that's that's what we're doing with some of our clients. We've seen it working in the higher ed industry. And that's generally the best accounts is the ones where they partner with students. If you say someone should do something about climate change, you're right. If you say I should do something about climate change, we should talk. We're Claremont Lincoln University, and we've created a dynamic new online master in public administration program in partnership with the Lincoln Institute of Land Policy. This is an MPA designed to give future changemakers the tools needed to take on the issues in today's world. And because there's no time like the present to support our future leaders, the Lincoln Institute is giving $100,000 in fellowships. You could get a $10,000 fellowship towards your MPA. Apply now for the June cohort. www.claremontlincoln.edu
Brilliant. Love it. Uh, I will tell you, and this is the, uh, Matt, this is the part of the episode. I've been, I've been asking this question uh, of guests lately where I ask them what their entrance music is, right? So to find out a little bit about their personality. So, but I'm not going to do that with you today. I'm going to actually ask the question to Kate and, uh, and it's going to be about you, Matt. So I hope you have your phone out in front of you or your computer's on and you can look <laughs> okay. at it. You got your phone out? Okay. I've got my phone. All right, Kate, you ready for this? Okay. All right, here we go. Kate. You are the next contestant here on the billion-dollar question that I'm going to ask you today. Let's find out about Matt. Is Matt's inbox at zero emails, or is it in the thousands? Oh, that's really interesting. So Matt, I think, is cooler than me. So I'm, I have 41,000 unread messages in my inbox right now. Um, and don't tell, ask about the total, but cool people are doing the zero base inbox. So I, I'm going to guess he's closer to the zero. I say he's got like 12. Matt, let's hear the answer. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very, I'm very flattered that you would think of me in such a way, but unfortunately I guess I'm not that cool. I have, I have <laughs> over 4,000 unread emails in my inbox. Oh, well, Kate, see, that makes me feel. <laughs> your head to answer that question. Oh, I, I, it was funny. I did a LinkedIn poll and I, I said, I saw this sign somewhere. I was driving. It might've been on uh, Instagram or something. And it's, it's somebody drove by this gas station or something and said, there's two types of people in the world. One, one, and it says zero emails. And the other one, it says like 21,724. Yep. At that yep. time, I had like 30,000 unread emails in my inbox. And I said, you know, that's probably true. There's those that just manage it, correct, you know, so you get to find out a lot about a person that way. Matt, we just found out a lot about you. Yeah, um, there you go. yeah Matt's, Matt's very cool, but he's on his way to being an old fuddy-duddy like the rest of us if he doesn't go. figure it well, out. <laughs> Matt, talk to me about uh, interest in Glacier because, you know, we, we talked about business, but you know, this, this demographic shift is coming. Uh, it's, it's well-documented, right? We know there's an enrollment cliff coming, particularly for the quote-unquote college-age student where there's just less, the low birth rates, there's going to be less, uh, particularly in the United States, less students coming out of high school, looking at college. There's a lot of competition uh, for colleges right now. As you said, with so many investing now in digital marketing and in marketing in general, which some colleges don't even know how to do that yet. And they're still figuring it out. There is a lot of noise, right? I, I was telling somebody the other day, it's like, if you were a student, you, you had, you didn't have the leverage. So you were looking at five schools, but now there's 50 schools looking at you. It's a, it's a complete reversal in the supply and demand economics of, of higher education. Are you having people jump on this and go, Matt, we, we got to have help. We don't know what to do. How do we set the foundation? Or is there still so much selling that you have, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, but so much selling where you've got to convince schools to, to invest in this type of, of marketing, you know, where influencer marketing, then people don't understand that all the way. Right. It's a, mm. it's a, it's an unknown. The ROI isn't necessarily you can't attribute it directly. Sometimes it's more of an overall strategy. Like you said, talk to me about the environment that you're dealing with and working in right now. Yeah, I would say by and large, the colleges and universities that we see, they are very slow to adapt to these new marketing tactics and to the, the realities of the increased competition. We're, we're just seeing, like, I can't even tell you it, it, it is one of the most frustrating things I see, but it, it is a reality, unfortunately. The number of clients, and I won't say any names, but 
the number of clients that buy billboard advertising simply because they know their university or college executive team and their board of governors will see the ad and then think their marketing is affecting effective. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's like a political tool. And they just do that so that they can then lobby to get more marketing dollars from the board of governors or from the president's office who or whoever it might be. You know, there are we've definitely seen progressive presidents and board of governors that understand that marketing is a huge tool and tactic they need to be using to help their their institution win. But we're still so like it's very you know, academia is very, very strong at the upper parts of universities and colleges, whether it's the president's office or, or board of governors, and they're very wary of marketing. And so we're not seeing a very, a very large shift towards believing in marketing and investing in it. We're seeing a very, very slow shift, which is unsurprising. I mean, higher ed is a very, very slow to move industry. So I'd say we're, we're, we're seeing a slow shift and I don't think the alarm bells are, are sounding very much. Yeah, you know, part of that is, especially if there hasn't been a, a defined and, you know, over time based investment in marketing, you've then got to look year to year and go, okay, we're in, we're in this year, we have to compete at a higher level, where's the money coming from? Where are we going to take it from to invest it in marketing, right? Because a board, generally, if you're dealing with a board of trustees, or if you're a private university, and you have a, a board of directors, whatever, the, the budget gets approved and it gets allocated by whatever it's a line item or, or department. And so you have to take something to get something. And if that money has been allocated to someone or some department, they don't want to give that up to put it in marketing. Mm-hmm. But if they did, they might have a bigger department. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it's this, this vicious cycle of where the money goes. You have to wait till you get to the next year. And then you have to have somebody that's compelling enough to go in to get more money and sell it in a way where there's ROI and sell it to a board that maybe doesn't understand those concepts um, the way they need to in higher ed. There's a lot going on in that traditional context, as you said, which makes it hard to innovate, right? It makes it hard. So you end up uh, dependent almost on your organic uh, marketing efforts, which are great, but they're, they have to be complemented by other methodologies. And wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are you know, there's there's certain schools that have the brand recognition and, and everything already built up and they might not necessarily need as much marketing, but the majority of higher ed institutions, they need marketing and they need to figure out their positioning and then they, they've got to figure out their media strategies and everything like that. And they need to change and that and we're just not seeing a huge shift in that. And the, the ones, though, that we are seeing, you know, really amazing campaigns and they've just really got it it seems like they have executive support. You know, they've got a president that comes in and they believe in marketing. And it just seems like a funny thing to say, but they believe in digital advertising. I can't even believe I'm saying that in 2021, but there's so many boards and executive teams that don't understand or or believe in digital marketing. And so when a president does come in and they do believe in that, they understand its power and its potency, then that's where the magic really happens too. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about a little bit more about the the money issue, uh, Matt, as it relates to some of the um, insights you found in the research that you just did. So um, I thought it was fascinating when I was reading um, the Glacier White Paper about the fact that the vast majority of colleges and universities that you interviewed have actually experienced, um, uh, at least this past year, a year-over-year uh, marketing budget increase. But mm-hmm. but I'd like to talk about whether or not that's um, either a little bit misleading or not as exciting as it, it might seem, because when I think about the fact that 
these colleges and universities marketing teams and their enrollment marketing teams, et cetera, are tasked with having content and a presence and people handling the care and feeding of you know, dozens of different platforms and dozens of different um, tactics that all feed up into their, their hopefully very smart strategy. Um, it, it gets back to what, and I'm gonna miss what her, her name was, but there was a, a brilliant woman um, who was quoted in Chris, uh, Chris Brogan's book, uh, uh, Trust Agents at the very beginning of the sort of advent of, of social media who said that um, social media isn't inexpensive, it's different expensive. And what she meant that is that it's time consuming. It's, it creates a lot of staffing needs um, to be able to create content and to manage content and manage followers and to engage with followers. And so when you think about those marketing spend budgets going up, um, if there's not also a staffing budget that balances that out, or if there's not an understanding for um, what working media dollars look like versus um, actual um, sort of roll up your sleeves um, employees at the college or university, I think that that can be um, challenging. So I'd love to hear um, your thoughts around sort of what you saw in the data around budget increases, what you think that means, what's the good side, what's the, what's the part that's missing from the story, um, and, and potentially what's the biggest mistake that higher education marketers could make between now and 2025 as we approach that admissions cliff? Hard mm -hmm. question by Kate. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the the question, the the answer of sixty six percent of colleges having marketing budget increase, it wasn't just their media spend; it was their marketing budget overall. So it could that could be more bodies on the team, for example. But I think, and, and the reason that was cited when they asked, you know, why are why do you think this increase is happening? I believe the most the most cited response was because they believe that it's going to be more competitive to to uh, get these students. Yeah, so, bingo. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I also think that there could be something at play there where, you know, because one of the one of the stats from this white paper was just shocking at the the fall off of using the physical in person tactics, which have usually been the bread and butter of universities and colleges. You know, last year, 52 percent of students had visited an open house or a campus tour or something like that. This year, that number dropped to 17 percent. Last wow. year, 53% had visited college fairs. This year, that number was 20%. So these, these in-person tactics and events that universities and colleges have been leaning on because, uh, you know, I can't even tell you the number of colleges that are like, oh, once we get them to our campus, then they'll enroll because they love it. Well, yep. that, that arrow is now out of the quiver and they have to rely on other things. And so what we're seeing is that 50% of students, they've done a digital tour or some kind of, you know, digital campus experience. And then 19% have actually attended uh, a virtual presentation from recruiters. So of course, because of the pandemic, like everything else, it's gone online, it's gone digital. But the other salient piece of information from that is when we've done focus groups with high school students and asked them, you know, how many of you have done one of these digital experiences, all of them put up their hands. And then we asked, how many of you actually enjoyed the experience? or liked it even, and zero of them, like zero out of 16 put up their hands. And, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, not, and good. So not good. We also see this as a, a huge opportunity. And, and that's that's probably likely why, you know, marketing budgets have increased is because they know they can't do the physical stuff. So is, is budget shifting away from an enrollment and towards marketing? Likely. Um, and we think that investing in these digital experiences for students is just a, an absolute no-brainer. You know, we knew there was a lot of hesitancy because people were like, oh, the world's going to get back to normal. And then who's going to want to watch one of these VR campus tours? We'll go back to normal digital tour or normal campus tours. 
But what we think a lot of these behaviors are going to remain. So gone are the days when parents are going to, you know, fly out and visit three or four different campuses with their with their children. What we think is going to happen is is that is going to be a very lower funnel tactic, and and these parents are likely going to do these digital tours and with the students that are going to do these digital tours at a bunch of different places or talk to recruiters digitally, and then they might go visit one or two campuses. So we think that investing in these digital assets is, is really just it's a no brainer, and that's and and we think that behavior and that expectation is going to remain the same from students. Wow. And what do you think? Do you think, Matt, that these insights, I know that you um, and your team are uh, huge experts when it comes to, to Gen Z. Um, do you think that these same um, uh, sort of behaviors and expectations of prospective students that we're seeing among 17 and 18 year olds, as I think that's all going to begin to um, sort of parlay into strategy for graduate students and even returning adult students, don't you think? I mean, I asked this from a, a perspective of somebody who used to, I used to run uh, marketing for a graduate business school where we had experienced professional students. Our average um, student um, had 13 years of professional experience and our number one recruitment activity was face-to-face on-site, what we called MBA previews. And if we could, we spent thousands of dollars to get you to a preview, but if we could get you to an MBA preview, we had a 50-50 chance of enrolling you. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, I mean, we had one of those, the, an unbelievable, um, um, effectively, a uh, sort of effective approach. But I think about, as listening to you talk about this, this is going to affect everyone who had really smart face-to-face -face, on the ground on campus um, recruitment events that sort of hooked them um, and and I think you know so would love to hear your thoughts on um, you know I think the, the entire world is not just Gen Z right that has has changed their mind about how they spend their time or money it's not just Gen Z that's distracted and overstimulated um, but the secret to connecting to anyone for a high involvement sale, so to speak, for, for enrolling in a college or university, I think has changed, yes? Yeah, I, I think so. I don't think this is just unique to the high school or Gen Z audience. I think this is absolutely, you can extrapolate to, to almost any audience because these behaviors I think are, are now deeply ingrained in so many different audiences. And I, I really don't think that we'll see like a, you know, quote unquote, back to normal. I think, I think this, this digital in-person world, this hybrid is, is here to stay. And I think, you know, all you have to do is look at some of the, some of the leaders in these types of spaces. Like um, a great example would be Tony Robbins. I don't know if you guys are Tony Robbins fans. I'm a huge fan. And he has invested millions of dollars in this like unbelievable presentation setup so he can do hybrid in-person and digital events. And and they're tremendous. Like I went to one of his digital conferences and they're better than some in-person conferences I've been to. So I really don't see this as like a, I, I think it's important as colleges and universities to always constantly look at the opportunity. And I see the opportunity as 50% of students are going to these digital experiences and then 0% are having a great experience so far. So it's like, if you can just create a decent virtual experience for these students, like you're going to be able to, you know, that 50% win rate of that in-person event that you used to have, maybe you could have that as a digital experience. And imagine that because your market is so yeah. much bigger, so much lower cost, everything like that. I mean, even from our business's perspective, we, we relied heavily on conferences and trade shows and meeting with, you know, folks in higher education or other industries that are interested in youth marketing. And once conferences went away, we were, you know, we were almost, we, we were scrambling trying to figure out what to do. And then we realized that digital conferences and webinars 
we, we have the same success because we get to talk to as many people and support as many people. And yet it costs us like a quarter because we don't have to travel anywhere and we can do it all from yeah. our office. So it's like, there is always a silver lining and there's always an opportunity. And we think there's a ton of opportunity here. That's a really great point, Matt, about the silver lining. So for marketers at colleges and universities who are panicking and who are thinking, how do we create, you know, we're used to feeding them and giving them swag and shaking their hands and making them laugh and saying hello to their parents or whatever all those things are, walking them around a campus um, who are terrified about how do we replicate that um, in a virtual experience. I think you make a, a, a really interesting point that um, there are new ways to think about this. There are new ways to do this. There are things you can do um, virtually that you couldn't do face-to-face. -face. And the good news is that these colleges and universities, the marketers that are leading this effort are not alone. The whole world changed with the uh, with the pandemic and you literally can pick up the phone and call a Zoom producer. There are, there are you know, to your point about the um, amazing um, virtual conferences that are very, very interactive. I just went to the Global Leadership Summit and did the entire thing. I rented a hotel room for the day, so I was undistracted, and I attended it virtually, and it was as engaging as anything I've ever sat in personally. So mm -hmm. um, I think you're absolutely right. The silver lining is that there are things you can try that you've never tried before, and if you don't know where to start, um, there are people who can help. There are companies that produce online experiences, and then there are companies like yours that can really help with the, the, the sort of strategy and the whole approach to how to think about this, so they're really not going it alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Very screen good point. time will keep going up, right? Screen time <laughs> is up. It's up for me. It's up for you. It's up for Matt. He's got 7,000 emails to deal with, 4,000 emails to deal with. That'll take him a while. It, but it, I mean, it truly is, right? That's where, especially when you're talking Gen Z, they're on YouTube. You know, the yeah. generation of folks that are coming in and thinking about college now, they're on a 10 second swipe. And if yep. you aren't, you don't have a good 10 second message. That's how long it's going to take for them to move on to something else. Not 30 seconds like it used to for Gen X or whatever. It's a 10 second swipe. It's a, it's a video swipe. It's a finger swipe. And you got to be really, really good at, at staying on screen, Matt. I think that's right. That's the way you have to think about it is we really have like 10 seconds now to get in front of a student and engage them. So I have, I have some interesting stats here that'll blow your mind, I think. Blow so, our mind, Matt. So with Gen Z, they, and this isn't our research, it was, it's a, another, another research paper that was done, but what they found was that Gen Z's watched ads the lowest by far out of any demographic. They watched them, I think the average was like two seconds, so lower than any other demographic. But when they looked at ad recall, it was double any demographic. So they were- wow. So they actually are watching ads lower or less, but they're remembering them, you know, almost twice as often. So that's, that's something we found, you know, quite staggering. But then the other thing, I, I think Gen Z gets this rap is this like, you know, ADHD, short attention span generation that they can't, they can't watch anything for longer than like five seconds. But I think what you'll see is, is we just are seeing that's not true. They will watch content if it's good, you know, like, like they're they're That's the, it. they know what they want they know the content yeah. that they're looking for and they stick with it when they find yeah. it like they are the heaviest user of netflix and the average time they spend on netflix is two hours per day so they're they're watching long-form content you know there's nothing on netflix shorter than 20 minutes so they're watching long-form content they're just watching content that's good and we were um on another podcast i was on recently we were talking about this 
about how there's been some ads where I have watched the entire two minute advertisement on YouTube. Like it's like, it happens, you know, it was, I'm huge into meditation. And so every once in a while, I'll see an ad from Headspace on YouTube and it's two minutes long. And it's all it is, is like teaching a concept of meditation. And I'll just watch it because I'll be interested or it'll be, you know, another one from some entrepreneur teaching a marketing tactic and they're just whiteboarding and they're teaching and it's an ad. And I watched the whole thing for two minutes, you know? So I think that's, that's another thing to keep in mind is, is Gen Z is not this goldfish generation. Like they're, they're intelligent. They're smart. They, they remember ads twice as much, even though they watch them for, for uh, twice as little. So they're, they're intelligent and, and they don't have a short attention span. Their attention span will be long for those that they feel deserve it. I think, you know, a key point in there too is, <clears throat> and, and Kate, you asked this question about how marketing is changing or how, how it has changed. One of those ways, and I know at my uh, Claremont Lincoln University where I work, we, we talk about this all the time, is, yeah, we love direct response. We love direct response advertising. We, we want somebody to pick up the phone and call us if they even have, uh, even, you know, want to call, which they don't. Uh, but everything is designed now to not have direct response. You call somebody, you could put it to voicemail, and you could get a transcription. You don't even take, take the voicemail. Kate, when you and I... Uh, talk to each other. We do these little voice messages that we send back and forth. We don't even text. We just send the voice. So everything right. is designed right. to not have a direct response. And, and so you have to be really good at brand building. You have to look at ways to build a brand. Like you're talking about, Matt, the, the, the ad you're watching has nothing. It's not like, Hey, if you want more information, call now it's, you know, here's what it is. Here's some content that we're giving you for free to get you interested. And when you find value in that, that's when you become a lifelong customer. I think that's a really good point too. And then it's just a mindset shift towards marketing is that marketing is about giving value to your audience. You know, like the, like I said, the best, the best YouTube ads I've seen have been from Headspace or companies similar because they're delivering value immediately before they even ask for anything. And that's, that's ultimately what marketing should be all about. It's how can we deliver the most value to our audience? And, and if you do that, then they'll, they'll want to come to your school. They'll want to talk to you. They'll want to give you the information. They'll want to sign up for that stuff if you're delivering them value. And so even keeping that in mind, you know, when they're on uh, TikTok or these other platforms is what, what is the student looking for? And that's what we always ask too, is, is what is the information that students want to see, which is programs, cost of attending, upcoming dates and deadlines and life on campus. That's the, that's the information that students really want to see. And that's remained static over four years. So if that's not in your content some way, like if you're just like, you know, asking them for their emails or whatever, then Gen Z is just not, they're not going to be interested and they're not going to be engaged. Well, somebody that has brought us tremendous value today is you, Matt. But before we outro you here, I want to thank my guest host today, Kate Colbert. Kate, I was messing with my audio interface here, and I decided that from now on, when you join me on episodes, this is going to be the intro music. It's not even intro music. It's an intro sound. It goes, it goes like this. I'm going to say, Kate Colbert. <laughs> little air, ho air horn action for you. I love it. All right. I approve. Matt, you approve? Okay, good. We're going to put Kate on the air horn button. <laughs> um, and, and then, uh, Matt, you know what? Thanks for coming back. Um, you know, we are glacier.org. You can find the 2021 Gen Z Media Report how high school students are consuming post secondary marketing materials. It is chock full, and I mean packed 
with information and statistics on what's going on with Gen Z. Thank you for coming back on EdUp to give us the download, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a ton of fun as always. Super excited to be here. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you have listened to another episode of the EdUp Experience. You've just EdUped. Claremont Lincoln University has built online master's degrees for the 21st century leader. Across their 100% online by design degree programs, everything a student learns at Claremont Lincoln University will provide the vision and framework to become an ethical leader in the organizations and communities in which they serve. The degree a student receives from Claremont Lincoln University will prepare them to lead solutions for the complex dynamic world in which we live. To learn more, about what socially conscious education means and to learn more about the programs offered at Claremont Lincoln University visit www.claremontlincoln.edu